Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I pray that you speak this morning. Thank you so much for your word, and I pray that you open our ears and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week we began a new series. We're calling it We Little Man. We're looking at the story of Zacchaeus. Renee, you did not hold up your end of the bargain last week and sing that song, but uh, we're going to look at it from a different angle this week. Last week we looked at it from the perspective of who was Zacchaeus, uh, the before and after of Zacchaeus, and uh, just how his encounter with Jesus turned his life completely around. We looked at how Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus, means pure, innocent, clean, and righteous uh, and in that culture, your name was your calling. So he was not walking in his calling until he encountered Jesus. And Jesus transformed him into the person he was created to be. But church, I am, I'm really excited about today because we're going to begin peeling back the layers of this story a little bit. We're looking at a whole other level of what's taking place here. So with that said, let's read again the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come or the Son of Man came, to seek and to save the lost. Now, if you've been coming here really for any amount of time, you know that I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd, I guess you could say. I get really excited about the little things. Uh, I got excited when Emily got me an archaeological study Bible. Uh, Not many people would be excited about that, but I was. Uh, I get especially excited when I read something that I have read hundreds of times and God speaks something new this time. That gets me excited. And I get excited even when I can see how the writers of Scripture and the, the, the teachers of Scripture and how Jesus himself used different techniques, whether they were literary techniques or teaching techniques uh, that help us to get a greater sense of what they were trying to say. And that's what we're going to look at today. Today we're going to look at a technique that Jesus used in this story that his, uh, it was meant to, to connect his audience to a bigger picture, specifically in this case, to an Old Testament prophet. And that technique that Jesus used is one that he used all the time. It's called rimez. Uh, rimez, it's a Hebrew word that simply means hint. Uh, what this looked like was Jesus would deliver a teaching, and within that teaching, he would mention a key word or a key phrase. And that phrase was intended to hint or to reference a passage from the Old Testament. And his audience would have been familiar with that passage. Now, the idea was he knew his audience would recognize it, and they would connect his current teaching 
to that Old Testament teaching. And in Remez, you're actually supposed to kind of import the context of that Old Testament teaching into what he was saying in that moment. Now, it sounds a little bit complicated, but it's not at all. We actually still do it today. I'll give you an example. If you came to me and you said, hey, pastor, I was at Walmart the other day in the checkout line and the people in front of me were talking about you and it was not good. They were talking about how bald you were and, and this and that. And, 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 and I might look at you and I might just say, you know what, sticks and stones and walk away. Now, if you've lived under a rock your whole life, you might say, what do sticks and stones have to do with people talking about him? But most of you would recognize right away the context of what I'm saying. And I don't have to explain what I'm saying. You're going to know sticks and stones may break my bones. But that's what he's talking about right there when he says sticks and stones. He's applying that old adage to the current situation. And I've just used remez. I've just used this, this Hebrew technique, this teaching technique, dropping a reference that I'm assuming my audience will make the connection to. Jesus does this again all of the time. He intentionally drops these hints or references knowing that his audience would make this connection. He does it on two levels. He does it culturally and he does it scripturally. And we talked about it on a cultural level actually a few weeks ago when we talked about how Jesus said things like, uh, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll return for you so that I can take you with me where I am. Now, in his audience, they would have understand immediately the context was a, a Galilean wedding. They understood that he doesn't have to explain, you make that connection, that when a, a groom uh, becomes betrothed, there's a wife-to-be, he leaves his wife to go prepare, prepare a place, and when that place is ready, he comes back for her to take her with him. His audience would have understood that. Or when Jesus said, I think it's Matthew 26, uh, when he, uh, they did the, the Last Supper, and he said, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine, the vine from now until the day that I drink from it with you in my father's kingdom. His audience would have recognized right away. Again, that happens in, in Galilean weddings when the husband drinks from the wine and he offers it to the bride to be. And that's her chance to uh, accept or reject the marriage proposal. And if she accepts, he says, uh, I won't drink from this again until our wedding feast. His audience would have recognized it right away. That was a cultural form of remez. But far more often than that, Jesus would do this on a scriptural level. Jesus would use a key phrase from an Old Testament passage with the assumption that his audience would recognize it and make the connection. They wouldn't just say, oh, I think that's in the Old Testament somewhere. They would understand he wants me to import the context of that Old Testament passage into what he's saying now. Now, Jesus did this no less than 180 times in Scripture. At least 180 times he referenced Old Testament verses or stories or, or just passages. But only about 20 times did he say, it is written, or you've read this, or so-and-so said this. In other words, the other 160 plus times, he just assumed that his audience would make that connection uh, to the Old Testament. And he assumed that they would bring that context into his teaching. Now, the most clear example of this, I believe, we find in the Gospel of John. Uh, it's an example that you're probably familiar with. 
uh, Jesus is talking to the Jews. He's kind of arguing with the Jews and they're accusing him of being demon possessed. And they're basically telling him, we don't need anything that you have to offer because we are sons of Abraham. So Jesus says this in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet, uh, yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, before Abraham was, was born, I am. Notice Jesus didn't say, can you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3? I want to point something out to you. Jesus doesn't even say, hey, do you remember when Moses said, God, who should I tell them is going to send me? And God said, I am that I am, so tell them that I am has sent you. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just says, before Abraham was, I am. And the assumption is that his audience would make that connection, that they would recognize the context of, of that passage in Exodus 3, and they would recognize this guy is claiming to be God. And if you read the next verse, that's exactly what happened, because the next verse says they picked up stones to try to stone him because they were so offended by what he said. This, again, is remez. It's a phrase that connects the audience to an Old Testament teaching with the intention that they would bring that context into what he was saying in that moment. So again, Jesus does this more than 180 times. Of course, the question this morning is, does this take place in the story of Zacchaeus? And if so, where does it take place? Now, a little side note when we're talking about this technique of Rumez, uh, the most important thing is... Um, that it was intended by the person who said it. So we don't want to jam a round peg into a square hole. We want to understand this is what the writer or the speaker was getting at. And what we see in the story of Zacchaeus is really there's no question that Jesus was referencing something in the Old Testament, hearkening, hearkening us back to that teaching. So where in the story of Zacchaeus do we find Jesus using this? And the answer to that is found at the end of the story. Remember, Jesus has just come to Zacchaeus and he says, uh, I'm going to come dine with you tonight. And Zacchaeus comes down and he welcomes him. And he says, look, I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. And then Jesus says in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is where we find that key word or that key phrase that Jesus is using to connect us to something in the Old Testament. It's three words there, son of man. Now, a good rule of thumb, if you're ever looking for this, this technique of Ramez, specifically with son of man, the place to start is Ezekiel. The reason for that is because if we take all of the other prophets in the Old Testament and we combine them and we say, how many times did they all mention the Son of Man? What we find is total, they mentioned Son of Man eight times. Uh, Isaiah twice, Daniel twice, Jeremiah four times. That's it. Then if you look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel mentioned this phrase, Son of Man, Son, Son of Man, 93 times. So if you're looking for this technique, with Son of Man, you're going to look in the book of Ezekiel. So the next question is, do we find anything in the book of Ezekiel that Jesus might have been trying to connect his audience to here? And we do. We specifically find it in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 is a pivotal chapter in the book of Ezekiel, uh, in all of his prophecies, because the first 33 chapters of Ezekiel are all about judgment. 
Some of the things that God is saying is Israel has become hardened and unyielding, that they've become rebellious and wicked. They've rejected God's laws and turned to idols. So God says they're going to enter a season of judgment. He's talking about the Babylonian exile. Uh, and you know how in your Bibles, sometimes they'll have a, a, a title over the chapters just to let you know what to expect. I was just going through a few of those um, in the book of Ezekiel. So you can see what those first chapters are about. You can go ahead and put that up, Greg. This is just 5 through 11. God's razor of judgment, doom for the mountains of Israel. The end has come. Idolatry in the temple, judgment on the idolaters. God's glory departs the temple. God's sure judgment on Jerusalem. This continues for 33 chapters. It's kind of depressing. It's all about how much you've sinned and the judgment that is coming until we get to chapter 34. Chapter 34 is the turning point in the book of Ezekiel where it shifts from judgment to hope. And what it does is it starts out in judgment and then it moves into hope. So we're going to start in verse 1. And just a reminder of what Jesus said. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord, word of the Lord came to me, Son of Man, prophesy. You can see Jesus is hearkening them back, and you'll see it more clearly here shortly. Son of man, prophesy. He says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, if this is Ramez, remember Jesus is importing the context of this passage into his current teaching. In other words, just by saying the son of man came to seek and to save the lost, he's taking a shot at the religious leaders of Israel and saying, this is this is coming out against you guys. And if we continue there, it says, Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? His audience would have understood that context and made that connection. And the religious leaders would have been offended that this guy is saying, We don't take care of our flock. Moving on to verse 4 of Ezekiel 34. Uh, uh, Ezekiel says, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. I love here what he says he has against the leadership of Israel. He says, this is what you're not doing well. You're not strengthening the weak and you're not healing the sick. You're not binding up the injured. That's what I hold against you. And then he says this. He says, you have not brought back the strays and you have not searched for the lost. This is what I hold against you, Israel, the leaders of Israel. You have not searched for the lost. You have ruled them harsh, uh, harshly and brutally. Remember, Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Ezekiel 34, 6, just a few verses later, it says, My sheep wandered all, over all the mountains and every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Again, he's saying nobody searched. Then we move on to verse 8, and he says, My shepherds did not search for my flock, but they only cared for themselves rather than my flock. Remember, Jesus is saying this is the current status of Israel as well, speaking it against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's condemning the leadership of Israel because they, in large part, have not sought after the lost. They've only been concerned with themselves. And then it's in verse 10 where we find this transition from judgment into hope. He says, this is what the, the sovereign Lord says. 
I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. This is a big statement here to make against the leadership of Israel. And then he continues, I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves and I will rescue my flock. That word rescue I just highlighted because I wanted you to know that there, there are multiple translations to that word and one of them is I will save my flock. And Jesus said, I will seek them and I will save them. Hearkening back to Ezekiel 34, where where God is making this promise through the prophet of saying, I will rescue them. I will save them. And then he kind of gives the solution in chapter or, or in verse 11. He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for the sheep and look after them. I will search for them. The language here that he's using, it's actually very similar to the book of Exodus in chapter 3, where God is speaking to Moses through the burning bush. And, and I don't know if you remember, God says to him, I have seen the misery of my people, and I have heard them crying out, and I've seen them being mistreated, so I'm going to come down and rescue them myself. Then we move on to verse 15 and 16 of Ezekiel. The prophetic word again says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. Jesus is pointing back to this moment in history where the prophet was saying, uh, God was speaking through the prophet and saying, this is what I hold against Israel. Nobody is seeking after the lost. Nobody is strengthening the weak. So I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to come down and I am going to seek the lost. Now, I pointed out the similarities to Exodus 3. I did that on purpose because what God does uh, through Moses in the burning bush is God says, I've heard their cries and I've seen their misery and I've seen how they're treated. So I'm coming down to save them. And then he says, so, hey, Moses, I'm sending you. And he does something similar here. In Ezekiel, he tells us, I'm going to come heal them. I'm going to bind up the the injured. I'm going to strengthen the weak. And then he says how he's going to do it in verse 23. He says, so I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. And I wanted to highlight that because I told you last week, the story of the blind man uh, right before the story of Zacchaeus is a part of the story of Zacchaeus. And do you remember how he calls out to Jesus? He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he cries out again, son of David, have mercy on me. And we again see the link to the book of Ezekiel where someone in the line of David would come to shepherd the flock. This was a messianic prophecy. Let me go ahead and finish that that passage there, Greg. He says, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant, David. Someone from the lineage of David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So this is a messianic messianic prophecy that someone from the line of David would be set over the people. And this would be what he is known for as being a shepherd who goes after the lost, seeks after the lost. He would bind up the injured and strengthen the the week and now he Jesus says hey the son of man came to do this 
The Son of Man came to do this. In other words, that passage in Ezekiel 34 is being fulfilled before your eyes. This was a huge statement for Jesus to make because he is claiming, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy from 700 years ago. That's me. I, I am the, the lineage of David here to seek and to save the lost. Now, there are two things I love. That's one of them that Jesus is saying, hey, that's talking about me. But here's the second thing I love, that, that shepherd that would tend the sheep and that shepherd who, who would uh, rescue the sheep and bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Jesus is saying, what you've just seen take place with Zacchaeus, that's what it looks like. Taking someone's life and completely transforming it. Going to the most undeserving, going to the most overlooked, going to the one that everyone else has given up on and said that they're too far gone. Jesus said, this is what it looks like to seek and to save, after, save the lost, is to go after the one that everyone else has said is too far gone. Renee, you can come up if you would. That to me is the beauty of the story. It's not just that Jesus is claiming, hey, I'm the Messiah, but he's saying this is what it looks like to seek and save the lost. It is to go after those who everyone else has given up on. That is the beauty of the story. I want to share with you also the warning in this story. The warning in this story is the tendency of mankind to fall back into that pattern of looking after ourselves. Because we find it taking place in the book of Ezekiel. That is what he is initially says, prophesy against them because they're only taking care of themselves. And then Jesus has imported that whole context into the gospel of Luke. And he says, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, God holds this against you. You're only looking after yourselves. And it's so easy for us without even knowing it to just transition into a season of just looking after ourselves. When we have a calling in Christ to seek after the lost, to actively seek after the lost, this isn't my notes, so it's going to be free. I always think about subway restaurants because there are tens of thousands of subway restaurants and I believe it's one of the easiest franchises to start but if you apply for the franchise and you come under their umbrella then they're not going to ask you hey okay now that you're one of us what do you want your mission statement to be no they're going to say if you're stepping into our franchise we'll give you your mission statement we'll tell you what you stand for and what you do we don't come to Christ and say I'm here Jesus let me give you my mission Jesus no Jesus says if you step under my umbrella, you embrace my mission. And the mission of Christ is to seek and to save the lost. To get away from just looking after ourselves and saying there are lost and there are broken people all around us and that's why I'm here. Church, that is why you are here. Jesus at one point he said to his disciples I am the light of the world I, I am here to bring light to every dark place and then later he transitioned that and said hey 
You are the light of the world. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, church, there is supposed to be a transition that takes place, a transformation that takes place where you become the light of the world. Church, we have a beautiful calling. I am so thankful that the angel didn't visit uh, the, the wise men and say, Lo, I bring you terrible tidings of horrible news, judgment and death and ah! No, he said, tell them about the gospel. Jesus is here and it's good news. It is good news, church. I'm kind of excited. Can you guys stand with me? Can you close your eyes? Lord, this morning as a church family, we step under the umbrella of your mission. Your mission, Lord, is our mission. And I pray that your heart would be our heart. I pray that nothing would burn on our hearts more than seeking and saving the lost. I pray as Renee, Renee leads us, Lord, just that your spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' name. I pray this morning that our hearts and our wills and our mission, Lord, would be transformed into yours. I pray this morning we leave in your grace. recognize them, God, and that we would have the boldness and the confidence to speak your truth. We pray you go with us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. The church, two things. Don't forget uh, if you have anything that you want me to talk about. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.